Hey, you know, for the last five weeks, uh, we've been looking uh, at the Gospel of Luke. We're still in chapter one, if you can believe it. Uh, six weeks looking at this uh, narrative. Been looking at these twin announcements, if you like, these twin birth narratives of, of John the Baptist and Jesus, the Son of God. Uh, Philip Ryken, in his commentary, uh, describes it as, as a duet. Um, where one voice begins to sing, and then it's followed by another voice. And then we saw those voices come together and harmonize. And then we'll see that today that it will peel off to another voice and another solo. And next week, another solo again. The first melody that we heard, it belonged to the story of John the Baptist, a song about a servant, a song about a forerunner. Uh, It's promise of his birth given to his father, uh, Zechariah, by an angel, but only fully believed by his mother, Elizabeth. And then the second melody that we heard was a song about a saviour. It was spoken to uh, a Virgin Mary that she would conceive through the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit and give birth to a son, the Son of God. And then when these two mums finally came together, uh, their two melodies met and the songs harmonized together as, as one uh, song, a chorus of praise of how God in his goodness, in his uh, mercy, in his faithfulness has turned old promises, centuries and centuries of old promises into a new song of salvation. And then for three months, they, they have shared uh, rejoicing uh, in this and literally watching these promises grow and, and come to life uh, in their house, in, in the wombs of, of, these, of these women, a senior citizen and a young virgin. After three months of that, Mary heads back home, back up to Nazareth, uh, back up to Joseph. And now it's time once again for a solo to appear again. And, and, and the voice of uh, Zechariah, the, the melody around uh, the birth of John the Baptist, uh, a prophet, uh, a servant, the forerunner of the Most High. You know, Luke's account is often referred to as the singing gospel. Uh, as we mentioned last week, only in Luke's account do we get um, these four uh, nativity hymns. Uh, which are, in effect, really the first Christmas carols. Uh, It's a gospel of a new song for the human heart. And and it's why uh, Christians love to sing so much. Well, uh, throughout all this praise, uh, these songs of God, there's been one silent figure uh, just sitting in the background. He's been silent ever since God uh, kind of put his corrective hand on him, uh, his corrective judgment over him for lacking faith. Uh, For nine months now, Zechariah, this man of public faith, uh, this man of public service to God, uh, who Luke tells us is uh, righteous before God, uh, blamelessly in all the commands and the statutes of the Lord. For nine months now, he's just been reflecting on how much of his um, outward actions, how much of the outward activity of his faith actually has real transforming uh, deep heart change in his heart, how much traction it's got down there. For nine months, Zachariah has had to listen to how a young teenage girl was able to respond in trusting faith uh, as the promise of God intersected her life uh, in the most unimaginable really, in the most miraculous 
uh, ways possible. For nine months, this a devout religious man is being schooled about what faith in the heart looks like by a young girl. You know, why did he doubt? Why did he doubt the goodness of God uh, to be able to to be able to um, be what he claimed to be, to be able to do what he said he would? Why didn't all that knowledge that Zechariah had of God uh, translate into a, a, a sure, trusting faith when, when, when it was needed? Well, that's what God, uh, in his kindness, has given Zechariah time to think about, space to dwell on. Uh, for all that biblical knowledge and practice, for all of that perhaps even faith that's just turned into uh, um, just ongoing kind of activity without any real genuine traction to pour down, to melt down into his heart. You know, the first question that, that comes to us from our reading this morning is how do we receive God's kind of hand in our life when he seeks to reignite faith, when he seeks to uh, correct us when we doubt or, or, you know, when his discipline comes on our lives. Uh, to use circumstances, if you like, as he seeks to make real uh, the faith and the trust that we should have in him. As he seeks to turn our knowledge into experience, or perhaps as he seeks to, to fan into flame a smoldering faith that's growing cold. And I wonder if we push a little further into that, how has this current environment, these restrictions of COVID-19, the taking away of things allowed us to sit and listen to what God is doing uh, in our lives, giving us space and time. Uh, maybe you're someone who, who for ch church has been somewhat of a painful thing, somewhat of a, a thing uh, that is quite a challenge for you to go into. But now, you know, from the safety of your home, your lounge room, perhaps even your bedroom, uh, you've been able uh, to get in and, and hear about uh, a God, how God has broken into uh, human history, how God has come to visit us in person uh, to powerfully save us. I wouldn't waste those opportunities. I wouldn't waste this time uh, in this space. You know, Zechariah doesn't waste his time in silence. Uh, he's been, like, if you like, he's been joining uh, the dots of God's promises uh, that his mind is steeped in. Uh, and they all trace to this moment. So when his tongue is loosened uh, upon the naming of his son John, and we looked at all of that last week, uh, Zachariah now finally joins in this song, is finally able to add his voice uh, to the chorus of praise that, that, that is around this miraculous time. Now, we would think perhaps uh, that his solo, if you like, would, would focus on his good fortune, on his uh, miraculous son, you know, on the, on the taking away of the reproach of his wife Elizabeth. But that's actually not the case. The first words to pour out of his mouth uh, in verses 67 through to 69 are these. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people by raising up a horn of salvation for us, from the household of his servant David. It's interesting, you know, Zechariah is a priest, so he's a Levite. He's from the house of Levi. So his son John is not who, who's in focus here. It, it's Mary's child, Jesus. 
Mary and Joseph are the ones who are from the household of David, uh, where this blessing, this promise is coming from, 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 originally from the tribe of Judah. Zachariah's song, like his son, will make much of Jesus as God's awaited salvation. You know, it seems that, uh, that Zechariah has grasped the staggering uh, implications of what the angel has actually promised, of all that the angel has promised. He has spent nine months listening to uh, the, the miracle and the promises uh, surrounding the child in Mary's room, womb, not merely marveling at the child and the promise that he has been given. His son would be a forerunner to prepare the way for the coming of the Christ, through whom God would powerfully and permanently uh, visit his people. Zechariah begins his song uh, with this common Old Testament way of giving thanks to God. You know, we read it all through the Psalms when they wanted to give thanks to God for his, his action in their lives. They would say, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. And like Mary's song, Zechariah's song is full of direct quotes and allusions uh, to the Old Testament. Inspired by the Spirit, Zechariah weaves the tapestry of his song together from threads of ancient prophecy, a new song of salvation out of old promises about salvation. Here's another take-home point if we like. If we wish to rightly interpret what God is doing, then we need to have our filters soaked in the Word of God. It was the word of God that both renewed and illuminated Zachariah's faith. It's all he had in this time was to be sitting in the word of God. It was the word of God that, that, that uh, the Spirit uses uh, to bring us to the same kind of faith that Zachariah has come to, that secures in us uh, a saving faith in Jesus. And that's what Luke wants for us out of this gospel, that we would have a faith around the the story, the gospel of Jesus that's unshakable, that like we said, like the mountain range, not like uh, passing clouds. Well, Zechariah continues to layer down common Old Testament expressions as he, as he breathes more clarity into the picture that they've painted. God is to be blessed because he has visited and redeemed his people. Uh, it's language associated with acts of God like the rescue out of Egypt. Whenever God's rescuing his people and saving and delivering him, he's pictured as visiting his people. Zechariah also says, The Lord has raised up a horn of salvation for us. The imagery around a horn uh, in the Old Testament was used to convey power and strength. Uh, beasts like ox and bulls uh, would use their horns to dispatch and overpower their enemies. And, and kings were often referred to uh, with this metaphor of, of a horn. Uh, this uh, is a new song of salvation that Zechariah sings as he recognizes that God is doing something new. He is not merely raising up another prophet. He is not merely anointing another king. He is visiting in person to identify with, uh, to dwell with, and to save his people uh, in and through himself. Zechariah recognizes that true salvation lies outside of humanity, lies outside of him, lies outside of all of his pious good works, if you like. It comes from God. 
and not from us. Salvation is not a, a human invention, but it is actually a divine intervention. It is not something that we can achieve by going to God with our good works, with our behavior modifications. It is something that God has done for us by coming to us in Christ, by coming to us in this child conceived in the virgin's womb, uh, this child who would be named Jesus, and it's all coming together in Zechariah's mind as he sings. The new note that Zechariah puts into this song of praise is the gospel of grace, that God himself has come to be our saviour, that in his strength and in his wisdom, he will reverse uh, all that sin has destroyed. Uh, He will turn upside down and renew all that sin has broken. He's going to come and he is closing the gap uh, of distance between God and his people. This strong horn, this king of divine strength and origin will save God's people from their enemies, um, Zechariah sings. And as as this gospel of Luke unfolds, uh, we will see that the scope of our enemies is not merely political uh, enemies, it's not merely militaristic enemies, but freedom from the slavery to sin and um, freedom from death that arises out of sin. You know, Paul, when he was writing the letter of Corinthians uh, and looking back on the life of Jesus and knowing that Jesus is coming back, he talked about how he will put all enemies under his feet. And they weren't merely political or military. He talked about how death would be put under his feet as well. This child is a king of divine strength and origin who's going to bring to us a never-ending quality of life in the presence of God. But this song is also um, a song in which God intervenes uh, permanently and personally. Um, While it's that, it's also a song of the fulfillment of God's promises that God has made throughout human history. Uh, These promises, as he gives them and as he fulfills them and as he builds a picture around them, are slowly building for us a picture of God's character uh, for us, Uh, a picture that we can trust, a picture of steadfastness, of commitment, of love and grace for us, so that we can once again completely and wholeheartedly trust God rather than fear God, run to God rather than run away from God. Zechariah mentions the household of David, and it brings to mind all that has emerged over the centuries uh, from 2 Samuel 7, about a thousand years before this, where God promises to King David uh, the throne, uh, the kingly rule that began with him. It's it's never going to end. It's going to endure forever. And then about 740 BC, you know, roughly 300 years later, the picture of the nature of this king who will uh, establish uh, this eternal throne becomes a bit clearer. It's going to be a child. It's a picture of weakness, of vulnerability. But this child will be a ruler who holds the characteristics uh, and qualities that are normally reserved for God alone. A wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. So we've got these two images beginning to merge and Isaiah says it will be the zeal of the Lord who who gets this together, who makes this happen. Then in Ezekiel 34, we have this uh, incredible passage there. Uh, We get the development of this. About 23 times, 
God says that he is going to come, that he is going to search for and seek out and rescue all the lost people of Israel, that he's going to bring them back, that he's going to gather them together, that he's going to feed them, that he personally is going to shepherd um, these people, that he is going to bind up the injured, he's going to strengthen the weak, and he is going to judge all rightly and then in the last line of this incredible chapter where God's going I I I he just simply switches and said and I will set over them my servant David to feed and shepherd them and I'll be their God and he will be their prince and these two lanes merge here the Davidic king will literally operate will literally operate as God himself a great mystery emerging around this messianic picture until now, until God visits his people through the line of David with a child of divine origin, God himself injecting himself into the line of David. And Zechariah then he reaches uh, back even further, nearly 2,000 years to Abraham, where God first spoke a promise of a descendant who would bless all nations who would bring about peace to all nations and you can read about these in genesis 12 and 15 and 17 but god promises to save all nations through a son who would be the descendant of the barren womb of sarah and now zachariah puts to song all these promises all these prophecies because he sees now that they are all coming true in this child jesus Jesus is the Savior that God has always had in mind. Jesus is the Savior that God has always promised to send. In the arrival of Jesus into human history, we see the faithfulness of God. We see the power of God. We see the steadfast love of God, the commitment of God. If you've ever uh, wanted to know, does God care about uh, us Is God interested in us? And then the answer is yes, because God has become one of us in the person of Jesus. If you've ever wondered whether God can keep his promises, whether God can save us, whether God can deal with sin, then the answer is yes in the birth of Jesus. God doesn't do this all of human history merely as an exercise of creativity or originality, but he does it with a specific purpose in mind of of changing our condition before God from fear to friends. This child has come to be the means through which our hearts move from various forms of fear of God, which is caused by sin, which is the ultimate enemy of our soul. Uh, you know, not so much political forces, not so much militaristic forces or financial forces or whatever they are. Uh, it is through Jesus that God will come good on freeing the soul uh, to worship him appropriately, uh, to, to, to live without fear of God, not merely fear of religious persecution, but fear of God, to be able to come and enjoy him forever. Well, you know, Zechariah finally gets around to uh, what we'll call the bridge of his song, if you like, in which he blesses his son, John, and the role that he will play in pointing people to to who Jesus is and and what he does for our souls. 
The angel had said that John would be great before God. And we looked at how you know, John's greatness was limited and how Jesus' greatness was unlimited. Now Zechariah affirms what that greatness looks like. Greatness looks like making much of Jesus. His son would be the forerunner to Jesus. Greatness looks like uh, comes through giving people the knowledge about Jesus that leads to them having their sins forgiven. Um, greatness is in sharing knowledge that leads to salvation that is found in Jesus. Greatness looks like shedding uh, light, the light of truth that reveals what Jesus does for us so that people can have lives uh, that are eternal and lives that know peace. You know, this is how you know if the promises of God have um, visited our hearts, ha have moved from being knowledge or intellect. Uh, we have a new song to sing, as Zechariah does. You know, we love to sing. We spend $43 billion a year uh, filling our hearts with what we love to sing about, downloading it and all the rest of it. Romance and love, food and wine and sport and adventure and experience. All good things, however they make really poor gods. They are not designed to be, nor can they bear the weight of, of, of our worship, of us trying to seek meaning out of them. Uh, they will never give us a life of peace that we might want from them. They are meant to be enjoyed, but they are never meant to be worshipped, never meant to fill our, our, the songs of our hearts. So eventually we end up singing a breakup song or some jaded Alanis Morissette song or Taylor Swift song or that song by The Verb, It's a Bittersweet Sympathy. Songs about how deeply unsatisfying, how, how deeply disappointing these things can be when we ask these things to be everything in our lives. This is the song of sin, if you like. Its malady in our lives, in our hearts, leads to death. By keeping our affections on things other than God, by keeping our affections on things that will never fully satisfy or deliver peace in our lives. The song of Zechariah is a new song for our hearts about the greatness of Jesus, who can fill our hearts with a much more enduring and much more lasting and much more satisfying melody of truth and meaning. God, in his tender mercy, has visited us to rescue us. Uh, from placing our hope and trust on things that were never designed to save us, from the song of sin to Jesus. Jesus has come uh, to reorder the disordered loves of worship and to guide our feet and our lives in the ways of peace. However, Jesus does not merely do this by setting uh, a good example to follow or giving us a good moral code to live by. Jesus does this by overmastering our hearts with a new malady. The malady of grace that was recorded on the cross where Jesus took on every selfish song you've ever sung, where Jesus took on every cruel lyric you've ever spoken, every misplaced anthem of sin in which uh, we make more of our desires for things rather than our desire for God where we make more of our own capabilities than the promises of God and his goodness, all of that is wiped and replaced with a new song 
a deeply satisfying song of saving grace. Grace is the new song in the heart of someone who has seen and experienced the tender mercy of God to them in Jesus. It doesn't extinguish other passions and desires. Uh, you know, it doesn't extinguish our, our passion for love and life and romance and food and sport. It just reorders them. It just reprioritizes them so they no longer master us and enslave us. The most life-changing light that dawned on Zechariah was that salvation, peace with God, was not something that could be found uh, in anything inside this world, but that it had actually entered into the world, entered into this world, visited us in the child to be born in Jesus. All of God's promises to undo and reverse, to turn upside down all that sin had destroyed and distorted, were now beginning to come true in this child Jesus. And the great thing was that his child would get to uh, point to Jesus as the saviour of the world. You know, that's where true greatness lies. You know, Jesus called John the greatest person who ever lived. It means he's greater than... Abraham, then Moses, then Elijah, then all these other people. And the reason why Jesus said that he was the greatest person that ever lived was because John pointed more clearly to who Jesus was. He said, there is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You know, we know more about Jesus than John did at that point. If you want to know where true greatness lies, it lies in, 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 in pointing to Jesus, in making much of Jesus uh, in, in pointing other people uh, to the peace and the life that can be uh, found in knowing Jesus. It's a great song to fill our hearts. It's a great song uh, to have as a melody of our life. Hey, let's pray. Loving God, we thank you um, for your goodness to us. We thank you that we have seen how you are a God who is capable of delivering every promise that you have made, no matter how far back in human history it is, uh, and you delivered them in the most miraculous and incredible ways, uh, through a child, that you would save us in great strength through something so vulnerable. We thank you that it, and we have seen how Jesus, uh, God in the flesh, has broken into human history uh, to come and to begin to heal us, to come and begin to restore us. And we're looking forward uh, to seeing how the Gospel of Luke exposes um, all that there is around Jesus. And uh, we thank you for the new song uh, that he puts in our lives. And we pray for those who might still be uh, singing an old song of slavery, that they would continue to not waste this time, but continue to look into, as Zachariah did, spent time, just what does Jesus mean for me? And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.